but these things have really been weaponized to keep people of color out of these spaces but because they you know they don't accept who we are naturally you know as we are like how we came out the womb so that's difficult and a lot of times you have to kind of be forced to uh, comply because it's it's based on survival you know like you know you need to support yourself you need to support your family so it's like how much of a ruckus do you want to cause in your workspace how many feathers do you want to ruffle do you want to be that person you know like that person they label you like the difficult one I was kind of labeled that you know problem child but luckily I was in a space where I could do that and I could push back and I started seeing some of the culture change because of some of the things that I was bringing up and just doing um, but I know that not everybody has that opportunity and they have to just you know encase themselves in their identity and not show up as who they are and that's exhausting Dímelo mi gente what up what up Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tu Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. That was a clip from this week's episode with Jimena Martinez, aka Mena. A little bit about Mena. She's a Mexican-American techie, PhD student, and woman in STEM. Through her social media, Latina Powerpuff, and her website, latinapowerpuff.com, she shares her experience as a Latina in tech and academia and provides resources for students interested in STEM. Now, before getting into the full episode, just want to ask for a quick favor. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, please do us a favor, write a review, like, share, comment. I know on Apple in particular, there's an option to leave a review. If you haven't done so already, please do so. It really just helps these stories get heard by more people. With that said, let's get into the episode. It's so funny because this is what your second podcast? This is officially my second podcast. <laughs> how did how did the first one feel? Not necessarily like answering the questions, but just like it's different, right? Because you're like saying things and you're being recorded and this is kind of like just gonna be uploaded to the internet. Like <laughs> How was yeah, that? it's it's different than other experiences I've had where they just request my quotes, you know, so they could put an article up or something like that. But I think it's definitely different with one with the voice. And then this one will be my first one with voice and, you know, video. Um, I think you have to be a little bit more mindful of, you know, your mannerisms and are you speaking clearly enough? So but other than that, I had a blast um, and I'm really looking forward to um, being on your podcast. So thank you for having me. Nice. Yeah, no, thanks for joining. It's funny because I've um I've seen you on Instagram. I don't know how I've seen you on Instagram, but like <laughs> you just like popped up one day and you know in the bio it was talking about like, you know, things well, first of all, you're a Latina in STEM, which is mm -hmm. right, but then talking about like, your academic achievements and then you look at your pictures and you have tattoos and your name is like Latina Powerpuff. And I'm just like yeah who is this girl? And like, I just love her energy. I think I actually wrote you that one day. I was like, yo, I love this page. I love your energy. And then, oh, thank you. yeah. And then randomly, I remember Odalis has you on her podcast and I was like, yo, she looks familiar. So then I mm -hmm. went to your page and I DM'd you and I was like, oh shit, I wrote her before. So it was just like meant to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's funny that you say that because she said the same exact thing of like, I don't know, girl, I don't know how I saw you, but I knew that your brand was out there. So Thank you. It means a lot to me. You know, I put in some work onto like getting my my message out there and my brand out there. So it means a lot. 
That's dope. Yeah, I'd love to get into that. I mean, let's get into the first question because it probably leads into your brand and like, you know, that, you know, what you're really trying to show to the world and the representation that you're trying to build. You know, when people tell you to be your authentic self or when you hear the word authenticity, which is kind of like a buzzword these days, like what does it mean Mm -hmm. for you? What comes up for you? Yeah, it's, yeah, it is definitely a buzzword right now. But to me, what it means is uh, not necessarily like policing yourself, overly policing yourself on how you're speaking and, you know, what you're saying and how you dress and, you know, all these different facets of kind of what make us, makes us a human being. You don't have to be so overly critical. And that's just not to say that you can say and do whatever, you know, like act a mess, but that you can, you know, just freely express yourself without having to put on this extra layer or this extra face um, before presenting yourself to the world. So I think in a nutshell, it's just, you know, being closer to like who you are inside of yourself, you know, when, um, when you're kind of alone sitting with yourself, um, I feel, you know, I'm one of those people that I like sitting with myself alone. So I feel like I can be authentic with myself and I try to show up as that same individual whenever I'm interacting with somebody else. But you know, it's challenging because you kind of revert to always um, putting on that face or putting on that front or the brave face. So I try to, I try to, you know, peel that back and just try to be most authentic. So it's so difficult, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure it's difficult in certain situations more than others. Yo, you said the word policing. That's an mm-hmm. interesting word to to choose. Like, have you felt that you've had to, or you've been policed in a certain way around like how you present yourself? Maybe like even absolutely really early years. Yeah. So it's funny because well, not funny, but you know, <laughs> it's interesting because actually, my mom and dad. I feel like you know, being immigrants, um, it was like a safety thing that they would say. You know, when you speak to you know certain kinds of people, you have to like speak in this way and you know, behave in these ways. So I think I started to gather from an early age, not even just in school or in the workplace, but just like at an early age for survival, this is how you kind of have to present yourself. You know, like you just can't act any kind of way if you're with your brother, if you're with your father, you know, they're gonna, you know, suffer some consequences if you like behave badly or if you, you know, say something to somebody. So that's why I think I choose that word policing because it's like a matter of safety and survival a lot of times, really. What were some of those early things that you think you had to, you, you know, you, you mentioned like being a certain way, you know what I mean? It, like if you mm-hmm. weren't that certain way, then like there would be a consequence, whether it be for you or your family, like were there certain things that yeah. came up for you? Yeah. So just not drawing too much attention to us, you know, just kind of fly under the radar, be really well behaved. Um, I can just remember these instances of like when we would go out as a family or something and we would kind of my mom would have us trained of like this is that you have to just you know be quiet do as you're told because you know we don't want to to get attention drawn to us you know we don't want to get pulled over I remember one time I was like throwing kind of a fit in the car um, and right then and there like just like my mom said like we got pulled over like a minute into my fit And I just remember that being the scariest thing because of how the police officer like interacted and engaged with my father. And that was, you know, really traumatic for me at a young age. So then it was like, oh no, like my mom's not playing around. Like I really have to be, 
this whole different, you know, polished individual, even from a young age, I was, you know, that was, that's kind of what I remember. And I have flashbacks to that. Um, so kind of now when I'm with, you know, my brother or my boyfriend, for example, I still kind of get those flashbacks of like, no, you can't just say any kind of thing. Cause you know, we're people of color out here. They're, they're not going to react in the same way as they would, you know, a white person, you know, exhibiting the same behavior. So. Yeah. Yo, my abuelo used to say the same thing. He would tell me like, Pavel, reputation is everything to the point where like he would wear a suit just to, like go to mm. a bar and I'm like why did he do that you know what I mean but he he made such a conscious effort to like dress a certain way so that people people's perception would automatically be like oh he's a decent dude instead mm. of like who is this like you know insert terrible adjective immigrant right. yeah mm-hmm. it's crazy tell me and like so your, your family immigrated and did you immigrate as well like to, like where did you grow up like tell me about all of those yeah, both my parents are from Mexico, um, but I'm, you know, I grew up in, in and was born in California in Santa Cruz area, Santa Cruz, Watsonville area. So it's like the Central Valley, you know, pretty close to the Bay Area. Um, so a lot of um, farm workers, fields, um, a lot of rich culture too, um, close to the farm worker and the Bracero movement. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm from. But it's it's you know it was such a stark contrast of like where the Latino folks lived and like where the white people lived. And it's like whenever we did have to go over there, it would be like this whole ordeal of like my mom would give us that talk, especially to my brother, you know, of like okay, like we're going over there, and you know you have to act, you have to be nice, you have to listen to what we say, you know. Um, and we would not get those same talks like when it was just like us hanging out in the neighborhood, you know. So that's so yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> so in your neighborhood, there was a big Mexican population, I'm assuming. Yes, mm-hmm. it was um, all my neighbors. It's funny, my family actually lived pretty close by. Like I had cousins two streets down. Um, we lived right next to um, a high school. So there was a lot of activity around there. A lot of kids, you know, getting in trouble and whatnot. But, you know, the paletero man. Was always coming down yeah so it was dope I mean I look back and I think back like now my environment and where I am it's it's so different um and I do miss that since we moved away kind of to be um to go to a better school and you know to be in a safer neighborhood and all those things but I am glad that I had that um upbringing so close to my culture so many immigrants um so yeah that's that's a bit about you know my background where I'm from <laughs> that's so interesting though like at such an early age you were like trained in many ways I mean like many of us were right like mm-hmm. to like act a certain way because you're you're gonna change like what were some of those sentences when you had to go to those places like was it to go to like a bank or like like why would you have to go to like quote-unquote that part of town yeah it would be to go to that part of town mainly because um we needed to get something like official accomplished you know it would be like okay, we're going to see el abogado, you know, or we're going to go just different things like that, or to to the doctors, even just um, anything really, you know, my brother, he, um, he was diagnosed with autism at at a young age. So all those resources and different things that we needed to tap into weren't readily available in our immediate community. So it was always like, you have to drive over there and be in, you know, these big office buildings to get access to those resources. So that was a pretty frequent thing that we had to do. So um, 
that's I think a lot of that training now that I look back it really was like you know training at the moment I was just like oh you know this is how kids grow up it's like parents being parents but I think now that I reflect more back on it it was really just us trying to survive and not you know cause any more attention onto ourselves um negative or otherwise <laughs> yo now that you're telling that story I think about my own experiences not necessarily like going into the city but I remember like, so my family's from Dominican Republic and every time I would go on a plane, like my mom would like make me dress up. I'm like, looking back at that now, I'm just like, I would wear sweat, like I wear like sweatpants if I'm going to travel on a flight. I mean, pre-COVID, right? Like, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah like my family would like actually dress up and like, you'll see like all these, um, you'll see a lot of like Latina women as well, like in heels and all these things, like super dressed oh, up yeah. dudes in like suits or a blazer, like as if they're going to like an event, like straight off the plane, it's, but it's really interesting. Yeah, super arregladas, as we yeah. used to say, like, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It was like, definitely you had to put on like your, your best fit to go out and, you know, just put on this impression to people, whether it was like, you know, church or whatever it was. Oh, so I remember that definitely. <laughs> was, was church a thing as well, where you had to like present yourself a certain way? Um, kind of not so much. I mean, my parents weren't, or my family isn't super religious. It was more of so like, just to hang out with the fam, you know, every once in a while, it wasn't a super big part of our upbringing. Um, but I do remember that like, people would make comments if somebody wasn't like dressed well, and it was like, Oh, I don't want to be that person, you know, that people are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know that like academics is obviously like a huge part of, of your life. And you even mm -hmm. mentioned a little bit of the story around like, you know, you're in a certain community growing up and there was a school next door, but eventually like you went to go seek for a, a better education. And what was that experience like going to a completely different school? I'm assuming outside of your neighborhood. Yeah, completely in a different town, actually. We up and moved. Um, and it was really because there was a lot of, you know, gang activity a lot of different things going on um that aside from just not having the proper resources that i think my brother and my family needed um my parents didn't have to didn't want to worry about you know our safety um so we did end up moving and i was about you know 10 11 and i just remember being so upset and not really seeing the bigger picture of like why my parents are doing this to me. I was just like, oh my God, like I wanna go to school with my, you know, with my cousins and, you know, my friends that I've known forever here. Like, why are you just uprooting me and taking me to this foreign place where like most people are white and, you know, nobody can say my name. So for a while uh, I, I struggled with that, but you know, I adjusted like, kids tend to do and I really think that it was in my parents mind you know they left they left just like similar to when they left their countries they left their communities and their you know the connections and the friends that they had to kind of offer us you know even more opportunities so looking back I'm grateful but I'm just like sheesh like so many of us have to do that um, leave our communities just to pursue education because you know our district's aren't funded the same way that other zip codes are funded with property taxes and the way that things are set up. And it's just so unfair and enraging now, you know, as an adult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not even school, but I mean, in your earlier story, like to, to see the proper like medical care, like you mm -hmm. have to like go to another town, which is wild. Yeah. And it just wasn't available. 
I think I think names are so interesting too because like that happens to everybody. Uh, what were some of the examples of people trying to say your name? I'm assuming it's I'm assuming it's Jimena, right? Is it? Yeah, it's Jimena, yeah. but um, sheesh, I've had some pretty bad ones. I've had people say eczema, which is like a skin condition. It's like skin rash. Oh, I, I'm fully aware. I've seen so many yeah. infomercials on eczema. Yes. Yeah, so now we're about to get them too because you know Google and everything they're listening. But um. <laughs> Yeah, it was, that one's probably one of the worst ones that I've gotten. It's like eczema, you know, hema. It's like Hemo. people get, people get really creative. And instead of just saying, you know, um, like Ms. Martinez or, hey, how would you like your name to be pronounced? They're just bold and they just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, is I mean, I've said this story before, but it's to the point where like, I go to Starbucks these days and I just say my name is Kobe. Oh, people make fun of me because I use my sister's name, which is Samantha, you know, and it's like, when I look at my parents, my parents went through this progression with our names, you know, it was like my name, my brother's name, and then they got to my sister's name. And it was, I think they saw how much I like had to deal with the doctor's offices, first day of school, like, it was just tough, man. So like, I think once they got to my younger sister, they were like, we're just going to give you an easy name, like, so you don't have to deal with it. But Starbucks, I use my sister's name or I'll just make up a name, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be, I don't know, Jasmine for the day. Yeah, yeah. Jasmine, that was my favorite princess. So that's what I go to. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's hilarious. Um, yeah, something we just got to do sometimes, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I remember my friend, I remember my friend told me, my homegirl, her name is Arlene. She said, uh, she just said, Pavel, you shouldn't do that. You should tell them how to say your name correctly like if they could pronounce Schwarzenegger they could pronounce Pavel right um and she was like if, if we don't train them then who's gonna train them and like part of me has that belief but other times I'm just like oh, I don't want to deal with this I just want <laughs> you know what I mean yeah definitely I mean I know even to this day uh in like my current coursework and PhD coursework I have professors mispronounce my name and I'll try to correct them you know three four times but then if they just get to that point where they want to just keep saying my name wrong I just have to let it go and just you know whatever but um I do try I do try to push back I remember when I was younger I would just be like too shy to like say anything but then I, I started standing up for myself and my name a little bit more. And, you know, it works sometimes. And then other people, they just don't want to listen. So, hey. <laughs> there's, only, there's only so much you can do, right? Mm -hmm. what, when, when was that moment for you when you felt, like, confident enough to even start standing up for yourself or really just start, like, embracing some of who you were? I think it was um, after college when I got into the workforce, really. Because before I always had to deal with the whole like first day of school thing. And I would always know whenever the professor or the teacher was about to get to my name because they would just pause and they would have this like really like, like this worried look on their face. And then, you know, some of them would just go for it and just spit out a name and others would just say like my last name, you know, but I just always remember being like, that was such an embarrassing thing for me. And I would just be like, oh, my God, just don't say my name. Like, I'm not going to raise my hand. I was one of those students that was just like, I'm just going to do my work and, like, get it done and leave. But once I got into the workforce um, and I just started tapping into more of, like, my identity and just owning it and not being more unapologetic about it, that's when I started really, like, correcting people and just or giving them an alternative of, like, you know, my nickname's Mena, if that's easier for you. You know, Ms. Martinez, I don't mind that either you know, whatever's good for you, just stop butchering my name. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. That's all I ask. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, so, all right. So it's your, it's your like first day at work, right? Or your first like quote unquote real job. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like you just had this moment where you were just like, you know what? I'm going to start correcting people. Like, what was, what were you, what were you thinking at that time? You know what I mean? Like, I would think like your first job, like you would have still been going back to those first days at like that new school where not that many people look like you and all of those things. Yeah, I think, I think I had a friend at work and, you know, bless her. She was a white girl and she was like, you know, I really don't want to say your name wrong. And I know you probably have so many people who like butcher your name. And she made a point to like, tell people like, this is her name, you know, stop saying it wrong. So I felt like I had an ally in the workplace which then like the more that I thought about it I was like yeah like I don't even need you to be in the room like I can just start doing it you know what I mean so but it was like I worked with only white people like everyone around me was white so it kind of felt weird that dynamic that power dynamic but having her just do it a couple of times and be like no like you know it's fine it's not a big deal um kind of you know inspired me I guess to do it for myself (laughs) that's dope shout out to Mm -hmm. her yeah shout out to her she's she's um yeah she she was my friend kind of throughout my corporate America you know struggle we could bounce ideas off of each other um so yeah that was cool but I know that a lot of people kind of don't have that or may not have that and they have to just you know, try to navigate the workplace alone. Um, so definitely, I'm, I'm glad to have had, you know, a buddy in the situation. Yeah. And I think I'm in similar spaces as you, although um, probably you're like a bit more, a lot more technical than I am, but I'm also in tech as well. Um, I work at Facebook now, although I just mm-hmm. resigned. So I'm going to another company still in tech. But um, yeah. yeah, so I, I feel you on like, not that many people I look around and there aren't that many people that look like me for sure. And I'm sure like the name isn't the only thing that you sort of struggle with. Like what's other, what other things just in corporate America do you think were just like really difficult for you as you try to embrace more of your identity? Yeah, I think just this whole notion of professionalism. I know you talk about that, you know, in your podcast in general, but for me, it was like everything about my identity was kind of counter that it's like, professionalism and its proximity to whiteness and like you know able-bodiedness and all the isms you know so it was just like I don't represent what this company or what these companies these spaces consider professional professional you know like I have the piercings the tattoos you know sometimes certain things that I say or you know not in their lingo um (laughs) (laughs) so I have to like explain myself or I'll say these little phrases that I like try to translate from Spanish to English that like people don't didn't understand like what Um, What? I don't I don't even know I can't think of them I mean if I do think of one I'll tell you but just you know those little sayings that we all have that we grew up with that I would try to be like oh like I'm relatable you know but it's like (laughs) not relatable (laughs) like what are you talking about you know um But yeah, it was challenging because um, I think corporate America is just a weird place. You know, it kind of, it's it's just weird. And I just was over it. Um, And that's kind of, I know I talked about in the last podcast, but um, 
I, I kind of started to just rebel after a while and just say, you know what, well, I'm just going to push the envelope a little bit. Like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to wear shirts where you can see tattoos and I'm just going to show up to client meetings like that. And it's like, what are you going to do about it? Like, are you going to fire me? Like that would be wrong. So <laughs> it was, I just stopped at a, at a point I stopped caring about the comfort of like the people around me, not all together, you know, but like, professionalism and you know if you really read about it which some of my classes in my PhD program have me doing and just the it's just really rooted in white supremacy you know and 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 whiteness so it's really to keep white people white folk comfortable um, because that's just what they know and and so they don't have to think about you know, what's outside of the, their realm, but I kind of started learning about the history of it and the history of, you know, all the isms as they relate to corporate culture and corporate America. And I really just started pushing back against it of like, no, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna keep my piercings in, I'm gonna show up as myself because who said, like, who said that this wasn't professional? You know, some white guy somewhere along the line. So I really think I had this whole journey throughout um my career and now it's just like I just show up like this you know and if you don't like it well sorry <laughs> I I love it yeah I mean I mean if if we're being if 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 you polled like 100 people on like hey they had like a row of people on like oh my god choose one that looks the most professional like they're gonna choose the white guy let's be real oh you yeah know? Mm-hmm. they're not gonna choose us and that's what I think we've been trained to believe professionalism looks like right like Mm-hmm. If they see someone with tattoos, if they see someone with a beard, if they see someone with even something as simple as like curly hair, like mm-hmm. all of those things we've been trained to believe like that's unprofessional, which is wild and wrong. It's wild and it's wrong. And like I said, it's just rooted in, it's just these constructs that like whatever's closest to white is most professional. You know, like you have to straighten your hair, you mm-hmm. have to cover up your tattoos, you have to look, act, behave a certain way. And I get it, you know, when you show up to work, you can't just be acting any kind of way or, you know, like unkempt and, you know, whatever. But but these things have really been weaponized to keep people of color out of these spaces. Mm-hmm. But because they, you know, they don't accept who we are naturally, you know, as we are, like how we came out the womb. So that's difficult. And a lot of times you have to kind of be forced to... Uh, comply because it's it's based on survival you know like you know you need to support yourself you need to support your family so it's like how much of a ruckus do you want to cause in your workspace how many feathers do you want to ruffle do you want to be that person you know like that person they label you like the difficult one I was kind of labeled that you know problem child but luckily I was in a space where I could do that and I could push back and I started seeing some of the culture change because of some of the things that I was bringing up and just doing. Um, But I know that not everybody has that opportunity and they have to just, you know, encase themselves in their identity and not show up as who they are. And that's exhausting. You know, there's research on how tiresome that is mentally, emotionally, physically, it's draining. Like I remember talking to my buddy about, you know, my friend at work, like how much, Um, how tired I was you know physically tired because I had to show up as a different individual essentially yeah I I I jokingly tell people jokingly but like it's really true I used to show up like I was a I was a full-time employee but I was also a full-time actor because I as soon as I go into the door like I literally put on my work persona 
I'm like, Haiti, mm-hmm. howdy, sir. How you doing? Like all these kind of things, right? Good morning, like, Jan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what, what were some of those things for you? Like, I legit assigned myself homework over the weekend to, like, instead of watching shows that I wanted to watch, I would watch shows that, like, my coworkers watch just so that I can join in on certain conversations. Yeah, it would be, like, you know, the chatter before the meeting start or, you know, after meetings. It would be like, oh, what did you do this weekend? Like, oh, you know, we went skiing, we went to the cabin, we, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, like, what like I have nothing to talk to you all about you know so and the references like oh what do you mean you don't know that reference you haven't seen this movie and it's like no like have you seen Selena like I don't think so so like you know we don't have the same frame of reference and so like similar to you I think um, I started to try to learn more about some of these things that were kind of interesting to those folks that I could have something to talk about because I don't remember them necessarily being interested so much in like my experiences and it would be like well you don't seem to care about that so I'm just not going to really socialize with you I'm just going to keep it pushing you know (laughs) yeah I said it before it was just like I feel like we over pivot our enthusiasm we fake it but like they could fake it just Mm -hmm. as much but they don't they're just like whatever tell me they don't care to fake it because they don't have to you know exactly (laughs) And it's so interesting, too, because, you know, go, even going back to that early example of when, you know, you were doing stuff in the car and you got pulled over and there was, that fear kicked in. Right. And so mm-hmm. often at work, like we're fearful. I mean, let's be real. Like we all need to get paid. Yeah. We all need to pay our bills. We got to pay our rents. We have to support families and all these other things. So a lot of us out of fear, just like fake it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure and maybe I'm just making this up, but like I would be fearful that first time when you showed up to work, maybe with a piercing and you were just like, you know what, I'm going to wear a shirt with no sleeves on it today. Like, do you remember that experience? Like, what was that like? Were you anxious? And then like, what was that experience at the office when like, I'm sure you got like one comment, the first one you were like, oh, this is why I didn't do this. Yeah, I got some comments and it was just like, oh, wow. Like, didn't even know you had that. Like, you know, and then they would kind of start asking questions and, oh, what does it mean to you? And blah, 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 whatever. But it felt like once I started peeling back those layers, people began to get more genuinely interested and curious about me. But it was like, wow, like I really had to do this, like take a an actual stand against this for you all to like take an interest in me as an individual, not just me representing like a monolith of culture, you know? So yeah, it was a weird experience, but um, definitely got some comments. And I remember in particular, um, one supervisor I had, she was not very supportive. She was, you know, kind of a, a, she was a white woman and we, her and I didn't have a lot to relate to. I didn't really see her as like somebody who um, was kind of guiding my career in the right place. And I just remember a lot of snide remarks on her part of like, oh, like interesting choice for a client meeting, you know, things like that where it would just be like, okay, I don't even care what you have to say anymore, you know? Um, So yeah, I, her and I kind of had an interesting relationship, but it's those weird things where you have to, you have to think about like, am I willing to do this? Because she has the power to, you know, terminate me. So, or to, you know, if she she speaks out about it enough, um, so they could try to reprimand me you know, but luckily that didn't happen. And I started to get more allies in the workplace, the more vocal that I was. But like I keep saying, not everybody has that. So I think that just speaks to the structural problems in corporate America and how people of color are not supported properly. 
Yeah. What do you, what do you think some of those structural problems are, or maybe like what were some of those structural things that you experienced? Well, working in corporate responsibility and like a lot of DE&I efforts, so diversity, equity, and inclusion, I just know that for a lot of companies that I've worked with, and even now, we see that that's not, you know, it's not a core piece of the business. It's not like, oh, accounting, you know, finance, marketing, DEI, or like some kind of, you know, people try to lump it under like HR or the people teams, you know, whatever. Um, but although it, it has some overlap with HR, structurally, it should be a different component of the business, in my opinion, that can just plug into all the other, you know, work with all the other parts of the business. Because when that happens, it's, you can see that a company actually values that and you don't, they're putting their money where their mouth is and they're hiring people and trying to make structural changes in the company to reflect that. And, you know, if you're a small company or if you're a big company, you know, you can have a department of one or you can have teams of people. But I think it really says a lot if you make that concerted effort to be like, okay, this is important to us. We're going to actually have a budget, just like if it were accounting, if it were marketing, not just like a little side thing that we're going to throw at our HR people or form, you know, a DEI committee of our people that are already underpaid or overworked, you know, just get all the, get the five people of color, you know, and, and just get them to form a committee, but we're not going to pay them for it. We're going to exploit them and you know, now I'm off on a tangent, but I think no, structurally no, that's what, that's what needs, people need to realize who are running these companies. Like we see you. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's wild. Cause where I work, um, I don't, I remember, I don't remember when exactly, but at, at one point, you know, diversity is always a conversation at every company. Right. But at one point they actually made a structural change where managers were being graded on diversity and inclusion. Um, mm. and, after that, after that, after like now it's going to be on their performance review, shit shifted so fast to the point mm -hmm. where like every single, you couldn't have a meeting without having diversity inclusion being um, talked about. So it's funny, like when people talk about like, yeah, we always cared about it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, sure. But not enough until you're being paid on it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there was even, yeah. I think, I think NASDAQ was it? They're giving like every company that's listed on the NASDAQ. I, I forget what, what exchange it is. I think it's NASDAQ though, but they're mandating that all of their, um, every company that's listed there have like a certain number of women on their board and uh, people of color on their board. And like that structural shit is actually going to drive change. You know what I mean? Because they're making people because it's going to affect their money. Exactly. Once it affects the bottom line, if you don't like factor that into the system, people are not just going to do it just, you know, for funsies or because they care it's enough about funsies. it. <laughs> yeah like they're not they're just not gonna do it unfortunately but once you put it in people it affects people's pay structure it affects people's like upward mobility oh. you know and it's not just quotas to meet quotas like people I think are now finally realizing how you know diversity is is beneficial in a business like you don't want to be that company that puts something out and it's like oh my god did nobody in that room like see what was the blatant issue with this oh god you know yeah. So like, and it's so many examples that we've seen of, of that. So it's like, and it's also long-term, like with retention, you lose a lot of talent and you lose really great people because you don't support them or because you just blatantly, you know, there's just blatantly racist, sexist, ableist practices. So they're forced to go where they're valued. Like if you don't value them, 
they're going to go elsewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, 100% agree. And it's so dope, too, because when you started being more of yourself and embracing your identity, I think you mentioned that other people started doing the same, right? And, like, culture mm-hmm. started changing. Like, tell me a little bit about that. Like, what were some of the things that you started seeing shift as you started, like, embracing more of yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think other people started to kind of being more comfortable and just sharing certain things about themselves openly. Um, I know for a fact that, you know, people on on my direct team, um, they kind of took a notice about that and, you know, they were commending me for it. But it kind of was this weird place where it was like, you know, I don't need to be commended for doing this. It's like, I just want you all to like change your behaviors, you know? (laughs) Like so, commending um, you just for being you, which is kind of yeah, weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I mean, it's better, I guess, than than what was happening before. Um, but yeah, some of those cultural things started to shift. I started seeing some things in like hiring practices or just interviewing practices, um, in the language of um, what's it called, job descriptions. Um, some of those things we were pointing out, you know, this is like, this is not okay. This might, you know, detract somebody who's a really great, you know, person for the job, but because you have this language in here, um, you know, they might not want to, or they might not feel like they're fit for the job. So just certain things like that, bringing those into the conversation, um, I started noticing what's happening. And another thing too, is that I noticed that I was always getting brought into certain conversations that's like, oh, well, what's like the woman of color perspective or what's the Latina perspective? And I think once I started being vocal about like, well, ma'am, why do you feel the need to like ask me that? Like really examine, do you care about my opinion as an individual or are you just trying to check a box and say, you know, because we don't have anybody else, like I'm just going to you and taking you away from your work so that you can consult with me on like people of color or what, you know, Latinas or Latinos or whatever. So I I found that once I started challenging some of those things, like people's like framework, like started to change, they would kind of question and I would see that less and less. So that's a good outcome. I love that. I love how much you've grown and now you're just like pushing and asking those questions. Like, mm-hmm. is, is it the same for you where you feel a level of, like, I'm one of the only Latinos in the office. Well, what it used to be the office. Yeah. But like, for me, I, I put this pressure on myself where I tell myself, like, in a way, like I'm representing all of us, like, they're only going to hire the next one if I do a good job, you know what I mean? Like they may not hire another Latino if I don't do a good job. You know what I mean? Like, do you, do you feel that yeah. sense of pressure as well? A hundred percent. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So whether I'm in class, you know, in my, in my master's program, I was the only Latina, only Latinx person yeah. to go through my whole program and one of, you know, three women. So it was always this pressure, whether academically or, um, you know, professionally in the workplace of like, I have to just represent and I can't have an off day. I can't have like a vulnerable moment because I have to literally put on for like my entire, just everyone who might look like me or relate to me because, you know, I'm, I'm their only reference for what somebody like me is, you know, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. because 
um, I was recently rereading the book White Fragility, and it's by, you know, a white woman who's trying to speak to white people um, and get them to examine their biases. So she was kind of talking about how um, for a lot of white people, they don't examine critically how everybody around them is just white and they just surround themselves with whiteness and they use, you know, the one person that they know as, you know, the black person or the Hispanic person or Latin, whatever. And like, that's their entire frame of reference for what that culture or that ethnic group or whatever is, is like. And so getting them to like critically examine why they feel the need to do that and why they haven't felt the need to diversify the folks around them, whether it's their friends, you know, their neighborhoods, academically or professionally. Um, so that's something that I'm trying to like learn more about. But yeah, it's, it's a whole thing that we could have a whole nother podcast about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's interesting and it's interesting that you also feel that I'm sure a lot of people do as well, but obviously it's an, it's unfortunate because in many ways, like we put that pressure on ourselves, you know what I mean? Like no one's mm -hmm. necessarily telling us like, yeah, you're the voice for every Latinx person in the world. Right. But <laughs> you know, we put that pressure on ourselves. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I don't want to be like the, you know, the reason why somebody thinks, Oh, like, you know, no. that's why we don't have more of you around it's because you're difficult or because you're loud or because whatever. You know, right. are so. those, is that what you've been called before? Not outwardly, but you can kind of sense that what I sense that people thought that I was a bit challenging to work with or difficult to work with because of some of these questions that I would raise. Um, so then it was just like, do I, do I want to keep doing this? You know, like, do I want to be known as like that person? And I think I was doing it at a time where this conversation wasn't at the forefront. I think now with the uprisings, a lot of this language and a lot of these concepts are more, you know, part of conversations that in spaces that they weren't, you know, even just a few years ago. So I think that was a time when it really was like, you know, I could, you know, it, this could really affect like my money. This could really affect my career and whatever. But at that point I was just like, this is important to me. And it kind of evolved into my whole brand and what I stand for now. So I have no regrets. <laughs> nah, I love it. And it's, it's always, it's always interesting seeing, uh, like if we're called, um, difficult to work with is like the equivalent of a white person being a white dude being called like a change agent or like a disruptor, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Oh, and like yeah. an out of the box thinker. Meanwhile, like we ask too many questions. We're like too aggressive, uh, and all those things, mm -hmm. which is, that shit drives me crazy. It would drive me nuts when I would have this idea and then, you know, at a meeting and then some white man or white guy, you know, five, 10 minutes later would kind of just regurgitate what I said. And then it'd be like, wonderful idea. So-and-so like, let's write that down or like, let's jot that down to work on that. And I would just be like, looking around, like, are you serious? But that happened to me enough times to where it was just like, Oh my god like i don't even care i'm just glad it's getting done you know <laughs> it drives me crazy i'm like yo i literally just said that yeah and i think it's difficult when i would try to have these real conversations with like my white coworkers who were in the same um like position as me they wouldn't really see it in the beginning but then once i started talking to them about it they would be like 
wow. And they, you know, luckily they also started standing up for me and we wouldn't just stand up for each other and be like, actually, Jimena said that, you know, we just want to make sure we're like attributing proper credit, you know, but also so-and-so like glad you're also enthusiastic about that. Like there are just certain ways where you could stand up for each other without it being like blow up the whole spot, you know, like that was my idea. How dare you? Because at the end of the day, you still need a job, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that hundred percent. But like, it's wild that you even had to go to that extent. Like you probably had to schedule a separate meeting just to like, first of all, you had to find people you trusted. Then yes, that was hard. <laughs> a separate meeting with them, explain it to them probably a couple of times. Then you had to wait for a few meetings to show them examples on like how you did it. And like, mm-hmm. so that they didn't think you were crazy. Yeah. And then hopefully exactly. they believed you. And then the fact that they even stood up for you, that almost never happens. That almost never happens. Yeah. So thank goodness that it did. But it was after months and months of like, you know, this is how just differences that I would notice and how, because we had the same supervisor, you know, and how like she would treat me and my ideas and my way of working versus like theirs. And it wasn't until I just started telling them about it that they could pick it up and see it and even, you know, doing something about it. Because, you know, that's where I think change can start to happen. Because if I'm just the one, you know, complaining about it to my supervisor, she's going to, again, label me as the difficult one even more so. But if other people are kind of calling it out and it starts to affect, like, her position in the company, then it's when it's like, oh, it's important for me to change my behavior, you know? Exactly. And I'm sure all of that experience led you to building or creating this brand that really mm-hmm. is you, you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. like, why is that, why is creating that representation, which is you so important to you? It's important to me because it's not something that I really saw like growing up and being valued or as, you know, it would always just be one thing that like Latinas were painted as. And it was just the lack of repre- representation, number one, but then also the misrepresentation you know, which at some times can be even more damaging. So now we look at the research um, and how important it is for people, um, you know, kids, young people to see themselves, you know, depicted, to see their stories, to see somebody who's just not one dimensional as a character, like they really have depth and, you know, they're, they're not stereotypical, you know? So I think a lot of that, um, and especially crossing over into like science communication and like tech you know, world. Um, I just wanted to be that person that I needed, you know, when it was like, I, you know, I don't look like Bill Nye or like all these other, like all my idols, you know, like science people. Um, but like, I want to, you know, kind of represent that for somebody else, hopefully. So that's what it's about, really. That's how it started. I love that. And you are being seen because I <laughs> all you and what you represented. And I was like, this girl's dope. I gotta, I gotta talk to her. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's what really keeps me going as like, sometimes I have these moments where I'm like, why am I just putting myself out there? You know, why do I, why should I make, keep making content or like do another blog post or whatever. And it's really because of the messages that I get from um, young girls and women in particular who are like, you know, I could really relate to that. Or like, I didn't know that other people also went through that or like, I'm facing this, you know, what's your advice? So all those messages are kind of like what keeps me motivated to just keep going and keep growing, you know? 
<laughs> that's so dope. How does that feel when you get some of those messages? At first, I was like, you know, I'm not worthy. Like, I'm not deserving. You know, like there are other people that you should be going to that just know more and that have done more. But then, you know, I kind of started just feeling this responsibility of like, you know, they took the time out of their day to write to me and they were brave enough to, you know, message me with this thing that's very like personal to them and it's being vulnerable. So it's like, I really have a responsibility that I placed on myself to, you know, take the time to respond to as many of them as I can. And um, yeah, it's just the sense of responsibility. You know, I'm the eldest of the of my siblings so I kind of try to take on that role with you know whoever I talk to <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's, that's really dope and you probably already answered this question but let me know if anything else comes up you know what's what's one thing that just continues to inspire and empower you to continue being that representation continue being your most authentic self yeah I think aside from you know the people who um, message me about wanting to know more or getting involved in STEM it's also the people that are already in it and are already you know doing stuff similar to what I'm doing there's this big community of you know Latinos in STEM Latinas in tech all of those that I've kind of tapped into and we have like you know our, our groups and our little sessions and you know just our safe spaces where we can just go and hang out and you know exchange ideas and collaborate so they really keep me motivated um, and just keep me like trying to be innovative in what I'm doing so definitely I would say when I first started out, it was like, you know, I got to be this because there's nobody out here. But it's like now I'm like, no, there are we, we are out here. It's just about like putting it out there and, you know, cross crossing our audiences over and helping each other and, you know, networking and stuff. So, yeah, I guess just growing the community is kind of what keeps me going. <laughs> <laughs>